Welcome to the West Connects podcast, where we provide a platform for compelling content and interviews aimed at Wesleyan student athletes, alums, and also parents. It, it is an association with the A-plus program, which unites university staff, students, and alumni in a combination of caring support, expertise, mentoring, and career preparation experiences to ensure success on the field of play and in the student's chosen field of professional achievement. That's a mouthful, but welcome to the inaugural West Connect podcast. I'm Brian Adams, class of 04, and I'm excited to have John Gannon with me. Um, we're going to jump right into it here. Um, John, do you want to give a little bit of background on yourself, your journey at Wesleyan, and then we can kind of take it from there? Sure. So I graduated in 1986. I, um, I'm originally from Rockland County, New York, maybe 30, 40 minutes north of the city. Um, I majored in English. Uh, I was a work-study student. So if you were at Wesleyan between 82 and 86 and you ate in the Davenport pub, I made your sandwich um, and then later managed the pub. So I, I worked my way up the ladder. Um, in terms of sports at the school, I played ice hockey. Um, my first three years. And then I, I came late to the crew party as a second semester junior, uh, rode as a novice, made the varsity boat as a senior. Um, and I was one of the two Will Scoggins crews. Will was only at Wesleyan for two years, um, but he was extraordinary. Um, I have a picture of him in my office. Um, my son is named William, but He's not named for Will, but I like the idea that they share a common name. He's named for my mother's, uh, rather than my wife's um, grandfather. Um, I, we learned so much on the river. I mean, Will used to tell us all the time that it was, a, it was the medium for what we were going to go on to do in our lives as, as husbands, as uh, business people, as fathers, et cetera. Um, the other thing I'll talk about that I mentioned about my Wesleyan experience was that I did a semester in Spain as a junior and um, which ultimately, and we'll maybe get into this a little later on, was proved to be sort of a transformational experience for me. Um, I later taught in Spain after I graduated from Wesleyan. So from Wesleyan, I go along and um, I guess we're going to get a little bit into this. You know, when you, when you, Go to a great liberal arts college like Wesleyan and you are a, um, an English major, you know, at Wesleyan, you've got the open curriculum. So um, as I tell people for a long time, you know, through high school and then at Wesleyan, you're, you're eating at the buffet table. So uh, what does that mean? That means you get to sample a little bit of everything. Well, after you graduate, of course, you need to figure out what you're going to do. And uh, so they hand you a menu and now you have to order off the a la carte menu. Um, and that's, that's not always easy. You know, that, that can be a real challenge to sort of pick a career path or at least the first of however many career paths you will have. I had, I've had several, although I've been in the last one now for 28 years. And I, I think this is the final stop for me in terms of, of career choices, but one never knows. I mean, one of the things I like to tell people that I heard somewhere is that you're never too old to become who you might've been. So you can always reinvent yourself. One of the ways you can do that is through informational interviews, and we're going to we're going to get into that as well. Um, after 
being in Spain, I came back, I went to law school, I practiced for a little less than two years. Um, and I, I hated it. I'll be honest. You know, I wanted to like it. Um, I go to all sorts of bar events, um, bar association events. And, um, you know, a lot of lawyers would stand around and talk about how Scott Turow had just written another novel and wouldn't it be great to get out of the law? And I thought, wow, you know, this is, I, I want to like it, but I'm just not passionate about it. And um, so I went to a career alternatives for lawyers bar association event, which by the way, was oversubscribed. Um, there were two lawyers there from the same firm. One was a partner. The other was an associate and neither knew that the other was going to be there. They had a little nervous chuckle over that, I think. I'm sure that must have made for some interesting interaction the next day at the office. And I'll remember something to this day that I heard that the partner said. The partner said, I feel as if we went around the room, we talked a little bit about ourselves. He said, I feel as if I live within the gilded cage. He said, I, I made partner. That was the goal. We've got a big, beautiful house. Um, great lifestyle. He said, but I thought it was going to be easier. He says, it turns out it's harder. He said, I have to do all my work. Plus on top of that, I have to go out and get business, you know, make business for the firm. So he said, what I really want to do is I want to be, I want to work in a gallery in Soho. I'm really passionate about art. So at that point I'd been out of Wesleyan for, I don't know, uh, four or five years and maybe six. And um, I thought, I cannot under any circumstances end up like that guy. So I wasn't married, I didn't have a mortgage. I was, I was free. So I had the ability to make a change. Um, although I will say, and this was something that Will Scoggins taught us um, on the river was that you always have a choice. You may not like your choices, but you have choices. So I decided I was gonna leave the law. I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I knew that I wasn't gonna be a lawyer. Um, I, you know, there were nights when I'd lie in bed staring at the ceiling, wondering, you know, what am I going to do? And um, so I went into sort of informational interview mode without actually realizing that that's what it's called. And what it really entailed was me talking to people about what they did. And I did a lot of reading. Um, I read at the classic that so many people have read, What Color Is Your Parachute? My two brothers who, who also went to Wesleyan, although the, the youngest of the three of us transferred to Yale, um, they were, you know, their typical younger brothers, they would ask me, you know, on any given week, you know, so what color is your parachute this week? Um, I later had a girlfriend who gave me a book titled do what you do what you love, the money will follow. I think, I think that was largely true. Uh, it's maybe a good thing for a fundraiser like me. So it's sort of maybe a little bit of a play on words there. Um, and I found my way back to Wesleyan through the great, and I put the great in capital letters, John Driscoll, who I think so many of us know and love. Um, and every time I see him, I thank him for saving me. Um, what happened was we were at a wedding and um, he was there. I knew who he was. We'd never met before. I went into informational interview mode. I spoke to him about what he did. He told me that he was actually going to become a priest. I spoke with Gina, who we also, so many of us know and love as well. Gina, Gina interjected. She said, I stole him from Jesus. Um, and, uh, and I thought, well, that, you know, what John's doing sounds kind of interesting, but I didn't, it wasn't as if a light bulb went on. Maybe a few months later, I got a, my brother, this would have been early nineties, got a mailing saying that um, 
there was an opening in the alumni office. He said, this looks like something you might like to do. So I got in touch with John, um, told him, reminded him that we'd met, came up for an interview, got the job, worked in alumni programs for, well, in the alumni office for about, well, close to six years, 92 to 98, and including a stint as um, President Bennett's interim special assistant, which was its own education unto itself. And um, I was off to the races in, in doing alumni and development work, which, which I love, which I did there, like I said, for almost six years, a year at a medical center. And now I've been at Hackley School, a K through 12 independent school in Tarrytown uh, since 1990, <clears throat> I'm sorry, since 1999. So that's, that's sort of, that's sort of, you know, it, it, in a nutshell, in terms of my, I married a, um, a Wesleyan alumna, class of 85, Elizabeth Carter. Um, and we have uh, one son who's a senior at Hackley this year. Yeah, I mean, the similarities are almost uncanny. Um, I married a Wesleyan alum. We were the same class, 04. My brother went to Wesleyan, like your brother did. Um, and I am also a recovering attorney. And I... Mm -hmm. I likewise fell into that awful cliche of, you know, I was a College of Letters major. I didn't necessarily know what to do. This was pre-08, so that seemed like there were a lot of opportunities in the world. Um, and I went to law school out of a default. And, you know, it was the wrong choice. I think I learned a lot. I think knowing what you don't want to do is almost as powerful as understanding what you probably do want to do. Um, but looking back on it, I should have leveraged my network more with, you know, current and, and former Wesleyan alums who had gone down that path to understand really what it would look like. Um, so maybe let's jump in there and use that as a segue. Networking can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. One of the purposes of this podcast is to help current students, alums, and parents kind of understand best practices there. I think based on the pre-call we had, you're a master of the craft. Do you want to give a definition of how you view networking and, and what that power can be once you fully understand it? Well, I think at the end of the day, if I were going to change the word, I would change the word from networking to relationship building. It all keys off of relationships and relationships aren't easy, they can be messy, um, and they take work um, in both directions. You know, you need to be a good listener, you need to be a good question asker, for lack of a better term, um, and you need to give as much as you take. I think the more you give, the more you'll get. Um, networking is not exchanging business cards, if people even have them anymore at this stage of the game. Um, but it is, there's a certain dance to it, for lack of a better word, that um, just like there is in dating, I mean, it's, it's somewhat analogous to dating. So I don't know, maybe it's like being a polygamist, you know, perhaps. Um, what I mean by that is you have a lot of relationships over the course of time, pretty much whatever you do for a living, unless you're a, a Benedictine monk or, a, or a, you know, certain types of writers that don't need to go out and be with people, 
you're going to interact with people. And the more people you know, and the more interested in them you are, and the more interesting you are to them, the more you will enjoy your work and your life, candidly, I believe, um, and the better you'll be at it. So networking is meeting people, learning about, the, learning about them, learning from them, being able to give back to them. And then really it's sort of a symbiotic kind of a relationship, synergistic, where you kind of feed off, you can feed off of each other. And just like a, any kind of a relationship, it can ebb and flow. There may be times when you're giving more than you're taking, other times when you're taking more than you're giving. But um, it's, it, it really comes down to relationships. So getting a little bit more granular there and best practices, if you were a current undergrad or maybe a recent graduate and if you were an athlete, which is kind of the audience that we're speaking to for the most part, and you were at Wesley and you were obviously studying quite a bit, working hard, practicing hard, hopefully having a good time as well at school. Um, maybe you were thinking about consciously building those relationships, but how would you carve out some time and be more intentional? And, and what advice would you give people to be more intentional about taking some time to build those relationships when you're in school or maybe right out of school? Well, I think the first thing you need to do, Brian, is you need to treat your networking process almost like a course. If you're taking four courses, this is your fifth. If you're taking three, this is your fourth, whatever it may be. You really need to put the time in. Again, like relationships, if you're married, you don't put the time in, you know, you end up in divorce court. You don't want to end up there. Um, so you're going to need to put in the time. What does that mean? That means that you're going to need to spend some time on your computer researching people, organizations. There's so much online that you can benefit from. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit later about some articles that I've used and, and shared with people. Um, and that's really, you know, you need to, if you're going to get out of it, what you put into it, as cliched as that sounds. Um, if you go into a meeting unprepared, you know, you will, you will pay the price. Um, you know, a story that I've told more than a few times, I do a lot of sort of introductory networking work at Hackley with our college age alums and, and our alums of all ages. And uh, one story that I've told many times, I, I sent an alum to uh, meet with a parent. His parent was a successful private equity guy and um, told him, look, research him, research his firm, go in there like an investigative journalist, ready to carry the conversation with questions. Think of yourself like a hunter gatherer of information. Told him what to do. Um, a few days later, my phone rings. It's this Hackley parent. He said, well, I met with so-and-so. He said it was, it was either the best meeting of his life or the worst. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I almost made him cry. <laughs> so I said, I said, what happened? He said, he said, I let him have it. He said, he sat down. He wasn't prepared. And I told him that it was a waste of my time. You know, he needed to, you know, I said, how can I help you? And he wasn't ready. And, you know, that's another thing, Brian, I think any of the Wesleyan folks that are going to be involved in this process, they have to realize 
that when they go to meet with someone or talk with them on the phone or Zoom with them or whatever, FaceTime, think of yourself as wearing your Wesleyan varsity jersey. Like you are Wesleyan in that moment. So if you and I are talking and I'm not conducting myself well, you're thinking, wow, what about Wesleyan? Not so good. Um, or if you're impressed, you're, you leave the call thinking like, wow, that guy was really with it. You know, I, I, I think I want to help him. I'm going to keep him in mind if anything opens up at my firm, in my industry, whatever it may be. Um, so remember that you represent the school. Be prepared. Follow up. Again, think a little bit about dating. It's a little bit like blind dating. You know, you want to ask a lot of questions. I'm doing a lot of talking now, but if this were an informational interview, it would be the other way around, you know, just like you're listening. Um, I'd be asking you the questions and I'd be listening and trying to figure out what my follow-up question might be or, you know, whether or not I agree or disagree with what you're saying. And I don't mean agree or disagree. What I mean is that, and you mentioned it earlier, finding out what you want to do is as much about finding out what you don't want to do. So this particular alumnus from Hackley, um, he, he'd, he'd come from a family that had worked in finance. And um, I think he thought he should work in finance. And he went and did program at, at Dartmouth at Tuck one summer, and he just hated it. And I said, I said to him, I said, that's great. He said, what do you mean? I said, you know, you don't want to work in finance. So now you're not going to spend all this time trying to get a job that you're going to hate and, and leave. Let's get on to the next thing. So he, he now works you know, in, in sales and business development with a, with a, you know, like a small internet related startup. So he found his path, but again, don't believe me. I felt trapped and maybe you did too, Brian. And I don't know what your leap of faith was like, because it wasn't easy. A lot of people are like, why are you going to leave the bar and you know, work in the alumni office? Like, you know, what's that about? Um, but, you know, be, be strong and, and stay true, you know, Duke Snyder, who was the hockey coach when I played for Wesleyan, um, he had a great line. He said, you got you to gotta find something you love to do because you're dead for a really long time. <laughs> so, you know, that too stayed with me, you know, and uh, it's true. You know, find what you love. I mean, what one thing, bring it back to crew again, that Will Scoggins used to say to us before every race, and I say to my son, Every morning when I drop him off at school or every day when I take him to a game or a swim meet or whatever it might be, I say what Will said to me, have some fun out there. Yeah, I, I love your, and I'll, I'll provide a little bit of commentary before we kind of transition to what an informational interview is, but I love talking about how you should address it or approach it as another course because I, I, I'm an inveterate networker. It's part of my job in commercial real estate. It's just to be expected uh, especially on the capital raising side. And when I meet with young people who are looking for a gig, I always say, listen, this is now your second job and you need to put 10, 20 hours in a week with, you know, follow-ups, email, introduction requests, referral requests, cold emails, picking up the phone, LinkedIn, whatever it is, you just need to put time in. And, you know, before this conversation I had with you, I spoke with Meg Dempsey. I spoke with Karen Whalen. We had a pre-call that went almost an hour. I looked up your bio on LinkedIn. I read the attachments that you sent to me. And 
you know, it took probably two or three hours, but it's proving that we're having a much more engaging conversation. And, and I can tell you as a professional who hires people from time to time or helps, I'd like to help young people. There is a really broad spectrum, like the Atlantic Ocean between somebody who comes to you and because they have the right background or the right introduction, you take the meeting and they walk in there and they say, I'm looking for a job. Can you help me? Then you have the people who come in and they say, listen, I want to work in private equity real estate within this sector. This is the spreadsheet of all the people I've met so far. This is the list of all the firms that I've talked to. This is the list of all the firms that I need an introduction to. Do you know anybody at these firms? I mean, that's a world of difference. And, and not only do you respect that person so much more, you can be so much more helpful to that person when they are prepared. Because I could probably make those introductions, but when you come in and you just want to shotgun it and say, I need help, who do you know? I mean, I know a lot of people. I could send you a lot of different directions, but if you help me be a little bit more focused, the amount of productivity you can get out of that 30-minute meeting is, is on a multiple level difference. And so, you know, my piece of advice would, would echo yours, you know, put the work in because you'll get just as much out on the other side. Well, you know, the old adage, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And, you know, from everything you just said, Brian, that's the kind you, when you have that kind of person, you want to help them. The other person you're thinking, because look, just like you're wearing the Wesleyan jersey, you know, if I introduce you to someone, you're wearing the Wesleyan jersey and the John Gannon hat, you know? So, you know, how you conduct yourself reflects on me and on Wesleyan, if, if I'm the one that facilitated the introduction. So, you know, and I make that known to people, you know, and um, it's important that they remember that because I've, I've built, you know, at Hackley, we facilitated more than 2000 informational interviews. I mean, I haven't done all of them, but I've done a lot of them. And, you know, as a result, you know, I've built up quite a bit of, you know, capital with people that they know that if I send someone to them, they're going to be ready. It's not going to be a waste of their time. Yeah, so, it builds on itself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I'd like to dig in there a little bit. I had never heard the term before. And, but after I read some of the collateral you sent me, now I know what it is. And, mm -hmm. But maybe for some of the folks that don't know the term, could you flesh out a little bit what an informational interview is and, and probably just as helpful what it isn't? Mm -hmm. Well, um, like I said, I, I was sort of doing it without knowing that it actually had a name. Um, Really what it is, what it really boils down to is sort of, you know, sort of an in-person research project, I guess, is how I might define it. You, so, you know, say someone works in finance and they work in um, investment banking and um, you think you want to work in investment banking, but you're really not sure what it, what it's all about. So what's the best thing? One of the best things to do is to go and speak with someone that works in it. And that conversation you will have with them will be an informational interview. So what sorts of things do you want to do? Well, let me back up for a second. How's it going to get set up? It can get set up in a variety of ways. You can get referred. So Brian, you might refer me to a friend of yours and then I get in touch and say, you know, Brian Adams suggested I get in touch. Here's my resume. Um, it may be that you get in touch with that person, 
they say yes, and then you tell me, okay, get in touch, I've cleared the way for you. It may be that you go through LinkedIn. It may be that you go through whatever software Wesleyan is using right now, um, or whatever, if you went to an independent school or whatever other school, you know, whatever good other sorts of connections you have. So you go and you have this conversation and the articles that I shared with you from the New York Times are more than a few years old now, but they're really timeless. They give you 15 questions of the etiquettes of how do you set it up? How do you follow up? Um, I think the best way to put it is um, you go into the conversation like an investigative journalist. I wanna understand what does it mean to be, and again, I'm using it as an, as an example, what does it mean to be an investment banker? What is your day-to-day -day like? What skills do you use? What did you major in in college? Were there courses you took in college that you found helpful? Uh, what extracurricular activities did you do? What do you read? What skill sets do you have that you bring to the table? Um, where do you see the industry going? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And remember with the what you like about it and don't like about it questions, that's, that's a win no, no matter what, because the things you might not like about being an investment banker, I might think I'd be cool with that, you know, or the things that you might like about being a lawyer, I'd be like, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound like fun to me. Um, so you're really, you want to come away from that interview with at least two things. One, a better understanding of what it means to pursue that career path. And two, hopefully one or more introductions to the next person. So it's a little bit of an informational networking Ponzi scheme or something. I mean, that has such not negative connotations. I don't want to, I don't want to use that term like I just did, but um, you know, so I might say to you at the end, Brian, is there anybody from Wesleyan or really from, from your professional network that you'd be comfortable interview, you know, introducing me to so that I can continue to learn about, to learn more about the field or to learn more about, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, you're an investment banker, but you said at one point you worked in private equity, that private equity thing, that sounds pretty cool to me. I'm interested in learning more about that. Is there somebody, you know, from your fraternity or that you play lacrosse with or whatever that you could introduce me to, and then kind of go along and build on that. Yeah, I tell young people, you know, your job is, I will make three introductions for you, kind of at a minimum is typically, if I like the person, I wanna be helpful. And your job is to get three introductions out of those three introductions. Mm -hmm. And then if you can do that every meeting, and sometimes it's not, some folks are not going to make that email introduction. You're gonna to have to say, is it okay if I call Bill or Karen and I reference your name, that kind of thing. But that's your job, right? That's that exponential growth that you're hoping for. Um, and, and I agree with you. I, I think asking people, you know, about themselves, people are usually pretty comfortable talking about themselves. And, you know, some people are gonna talk about how great they are. That's okay. If you ask people about their journey, like I did with you at the beginning of the show, you'll always learn something from that journey, right? And they may cover up some things or not tell the whole story, but you're going to get a pretty good sense. And soon, if you do it enough, you'll see themes, right? I decided to make this choice. I went to work at this firm. I met this person, and now I'm working at this shop. And you'll start to see those things kind of recurring. And then you'll be able to kind of see the fact pattern, see the path that you can go on yourself. Um, and, and I love the concept of 
the Wesleyan on the front of the jersey because obviously we're getting a great education at Wesleyan, playing competitive sports, but it opens up a lot of doors. I mean, if somebody emails me or calls me or shoots me a message on LinkedIn, recent Wesleyan alum, can I have 10 minutes of your time? You're going to get about a hundred percent conversion rate on that, on my response, right? Because yes. I mean, that's, this is, this is why we, you know, we want to help each other. This is the community that we chose to be a part of and it's a dynamic engaged community. And so often I hear recent alums, they haven't called the alumni office. They haven't joined any of the affinity groups that Wesleyan has. But if you kind of do that, and if you get the names, and if you reference that you went to Wes, you're going to get a lot of, of meetings and calls and, and emails. But to your point, be ready. Because if you, I mean, you'll get some very impressive people that want to help. But if you come off as unprepared or unprofessional, and you don't have a very specific ask or a need, it's not going to leave a great impression. Um, and we're all busy, right? So we want to help, but at the same time, we all have a lot going on. So you need to be very intentional and prepared and organized going into those. There's, there's, there's no question. Um, you know, another great line that my son learned from his uh, Taekwondo master, who he refers to, he said to me one day, daddy, he said, master you is my Will Scoggins. So I thought, oh, I was like, wow, that's great. Um, but Master Yu says to the kids and, and adults, they're, they're adults in the classes too. He says, practice easy and your life will be harder. Practice harder and your life will be easier. So you've got, you've got to put the time in. There's no, there's no way around that. And I agree with you 100%. People, A, they're happy to tell their story. And B, they want to help young people. I don't know what it is, but most people are happy to help. Maybe it's that they remember what it was like for them. Maybe it's that common affiliation with Wesleyan, whatever it might. Maybe it's a combination of the two. So don't think that you're imposing on these people. They, if they've said yes, they're ready to help you. They're not just like, oh, I got to go do this. I mean, it may be the highlight of their day, candidly, you know, depending on how much they like their job. Um, so do that. And, and the other thing that I would say, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of an odd duck and I'll tell you why. And it goes back to the trip to Spain. I studied in Spain. I loved it so much. I came back. I worked to, you know, to, uh, I, w I went to Middlebury one summer before my senior year because I wanted to continue with the whole Spanish thing. And then after graduation, I, I said, I'm, I'm going back. I love it over there. And I was there and I was an immigrant. I had, a, I had a, a job, I had a girlfriend, I had a place to live. I was an American, I was an expatriate. Um, what that did was it made me a different person. You know, as I eventually became a teacher there because it was a means to support myself. Um, but when you're a teacher, you're out in front and you need to lead the class. So I went from a guy who was not the talk of the class and raising his hand and, you know, left, right, and up, you know, sideways. When I got back, my, one of my absolute closest Wesleyan friends said to me, like, what happened to you? You, you used to be a mute when you were Wesleyan. Now, now you're like working the room, you know, and I'm not a working the room, like 
flit around sort of a person. I'd rather have two or three really in-depth conversations than a bunch of surface kind of ones. It's just, I want substance. I don't want just, you know, three sentences and on to the next person. So the reason that I'm telling this story is that if, if you're listening to this and you're sort of a quasi introverted person, put yourself out there, just force yourself. And as I've said to my son, who's thinking ahead about going to college and, you know, will I have friends and everything? I said, think about it this way. And, and I invite you to do the same, right? If you, well, not you because you're so outgoing, but. Wasn't always. We'll so maybe in that respect, we're similar. So let's assume it's the first day of Wesleyan. We're there. We don't know each other. We see each other. You're not talking to anyone. I'm not talking to anyone. I go over to you and I initiate a conversation. How, how do you feel? I feel special. You're psyched. You're like, thank God someone's talking to me. I'm not standing yeah, here by myself. Yeah, this is terrific. Let's talk you about know, the weather, anything. Right, just yeah. anything. I just want to be in a conversation because it feels like everybody's looking at you and that, yeah. you know, you're alone. So go to things, throw yourself into the conversation. And then the beauty of it is, and this is what I tell the happy kids that I work with all the time. When you put yourself out there, stuff is going to happen. If you're at home, playing video games, you know, you'll become, you'll, you'll level up or you'll get a better score or whatever you do, but you, they're not going to come and find you. But when you put yourself out there, if you go to a Wesleyan networking event for athletes that are interested in practicing law or practicing medicine or being social workers or whatever the topic is, you don't know who you're going to meet and they might offer you a job or an introduction that leads to a job. But if you stay in your room and, you know, check social media, you're, you're going to be stuck in your room. You, know? yeah, so you got to put yourself out there. That's exactly where I was going to go next in the conversation was you need to get outside of your comfort zone and take a little bit of a risk. Um, but the rewards you will reap are going to be huge in my experience and opinion. So I went to an all boys military high school, small school, uh, and when I first got to Wesleyan, it was really overwhelming. Um, girls were around and, you know, it was seemed like a really big place from where I'd come from. But I, I think once you identify that you have a, a few interests and then you can find out those affinity groups, that really can lead you to the next level of building those relationships. Um, and so I would encourage you, you know, if you do think this is uncomfortable, I really don't want to do this. I mean, it's kind of like sales. I'm in a, I'm in a sales business. If the worst thing that happens to you that day is that somebody says no to you, it's going to be okay. The sun comes up, you know, beer still tastes cold. It'll be all right. Um, but the more you put out there, the more you will get. And, and that's where I want to take the next level of the conversation is talking about one of the one of the big falsehoods that I see from younger people is they're often afraid of doing these meetings with what they view as these important individuals because they feel like they have nothing to give. And in my experience, in my opinion, really good networkers, really good relationship builders, it's all about empathy and it's all about giving more than you ever think that you'll get back. And even with younger people, and I'm sure you've had a lot of experience with this, especially in the high school space. I always encourage people to end a conversation with, well, what can I do for you? Are there certain things in your life that 
are a challenge for you right now? Are there issues you're working through or maybe a problem? Because I know I'm a 17 year old kid from upstate New York, but you never know, I might be able to help. And even if you can't help there, I think follow-up is the absolute key to building those long-term relationships and continuing to offer to help and to be there and keeping those people in mind. And that's where the thoughtfulness comes into play. Have you, have you seen that as well in your experience? There's no, there's no question. I think to your point, something to always keep in mind is that during these conversations, you're likely going to also talk about other things. So it may be that in addition to wanting to learn more about what it's like to be a social worker, you and this person may share, well, you probably do, Wesleyan athletics in common. You might even share the same sport in common. So you're going to talk a little bit about the sport, depending upon how many years the two of you have been out. You may have had the same coach. You know, there's all sorts of commonalities. You may also end up going in a different direction where, you know, so for instance, I mentioned that I'd lived and worked in Spain and maybe it turns out that, that you were a Spanish major or that you just got back from vacation or you're going to be vacationing there. So maybe I can tell you, you know, some places you might think about going to this point about being able to help people. You know, you may be able to, if you're a little older and I'm a little younger, it may be that I'm able to help your kids. Like maybe you have a son or daughter that's, thinking about going to a small liberal arts college and wants to row crew, you know, as a walk-on, like, what is that like? How does it work? You know? Um, so there's, there's all kinds of ways that you can be helpful to them. Maybe that you, you hit it off that you're both big Yankee fans. And now, you know, when you see an article, a review in the New York times Sunday book review section about a new, you know, uh, biography of Mariano Rivera, you know, you send it to them, send them a link you know, share with them things that you think they would be interested in. Now, this is, this is the key. Don't always share things that are interesting to you. That may be a bit of an imposition. If I start sending you things that are interesting to me, you're like enough with this guy, you know, but if I send you things that are interesting to you, it's almost like I'm working for you. Like I'm your clipping service, you know, wow, that's pretty cool. I, I, I missed that book or I missed that podcast or I missed, you know, that film or documentary or whatever it might be. And it also tells you, I think, and I hope like, wow, you know, John Gannon was listening. He cares, you know, he thought enough to take just a few minutes to share something that he thought I might find interesting. And I, and I found time and time again, that if you send the right thing, you know, people will, they'll, they'll be grateful. And then, you know, they'll remember you. And now you're sort of a little bit like a new vocabulary word. And maybe something opens up in your office and you're like, you know what, that Gannon guy, he seemed like he, you know, was on the ball. Maybe I should bring him in for an interview, you know, or I know this guy who's hiring at his firm. Let me shoot his resume. He gave it to me when I had it from the informational interview, see what he thinks, maybe bring him in. And that's, again, the case of put yourself out there and be, and be present and give back, you know, as you've said, empathize. Um, and that's, that's part again of, of the whole, you know, relationship building process. Yeah, so often somebody looking for a job, you know, I, I say you need to be 
thoughtfully, persistently top of mind of everyone that you would want to work for at some point, if that's really what you're going to do, you're not going to find your dream job listed online or somebody will send you a job description. It's going to be, man, I just met with so-and-so and they seem pretty sharp. I'm having lunch with a friend who says they need to fill this position. There might be a, a match here, right? And I think people want to be that matchmaker, but if you just do a one-off conversation or a phone call, and I'm sure it's like this for you as well, when you do a lot of networking and, and we are focused on building relationships, it can be hard to manage everybody. So unless you are thoughtfully staying top of mind with people, you're going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, and that's where I think to our earlier conversation, this is, this is a, this is a job. This is, this takes work and time. And, and the, the people that I've seen who are just next level relationship builders looking for a, a position, they put together an email where every 30 days, everybody they've met with, they just put out a Friday afternoon email newsletter saying, hey, everybody who's receiving this is someone that has helped me along this way. As a reminder, this is my name. This is what I'm looking for. To date, I've had 150 coffee meetings, 25 lunches, 30 phone calls. People have been so extraordinarily helpful. Just want to make sure that I'm staying top of mind with you all. Here's where I'm looking for. Here's my resume. And please, this is my background. This is my skill set. If I can ever any, do anything for you, reach out, text me, call me. I want to help. And I think that's just a tremendously good way to do things. But you have to be very organized to do that, right? I mean, that takes work and effort and time. And not everybody is willing to do it. And in fact, very few people are willing to do it. And that's where I think networking gets thrown around a lot. But it's a real skill set and it takes time to polish that skill set. So, and depending on the nature of your work, I would argue that it's certainly within the top two or three skill sets that, you know, arrows that you'll have in your quiver. Because if you just take business, at the end of the day, business is relationships. So, you know, if you and I hit it off and we work in similar businesses and we can do business together and we respect each other, we're much more likely to want to work together than if we don't. So that ability to cultivate a relationship between the two of us, you know, may be a total deal maker as opposed to a deal breaker. Um, I, I like what you said about that news, you know, that every 30 day email. I mean, once you get up around those numbers, it, it starts to become more difficult to manage. I think to the extent that someone can personalize it, that's always even better. But, you know, if you've had 150 coffees and 75, you know, drinks or whatever, you know, that's, that is a full-time job to stay in yeah. touch with that many people. But, but remember too, I mean, something that I mentioned when we spoke earlier, Brian, was um, that, I, that I, I tell all the Hackley people that I work with, I said, look, I can get you the first 25 to 35 minutes. It's up to you to get the next 25 to 35 years. And then they're like, well, what does that mean? And then I explained to them many of the things that you and I just talked about. Stay in touch with them. Eventually, you're going to get a job. When you do, after you've taken a victory lap and celebrated with your family and friends, you know, email that person, call that person, tell them where you're going to be, 
And in a perfect world, tell them that it was that answer that they gave you to that particular question that you think probably sealed the offer for you. That's the perfect outcome. But if you can somehow link it back to them, that's especially powerful. But also just letting them know where you landed. Most people like you never hear from them again. Not good. That's not networking. You know, that's like reverse, that's reverse networking. You know, so if you go to business school, tell them where I am, I'm gonna I'm getting off the track here. I'm going to business school. Where are you working that summer? Just wanted to let you know I'm gonna be with BCG this summer, whatever it is, you know. Hey, just graduated, accepted a job with McKinsey, you know, whatever. Just sort of stay present. You don't have to overdo it, but think of reasons to sort of be in touch with them and keep that, keep that network alive, which is what will lead to them being in your network for 25 to 35 years. And the other thing I say, you know, we live in a different world now. I say to them, look, you're just trying to get a job. You think, you, you're thinking you're never going to get a job. It's not going to happen for you. It will happen. And you know what? The truth is, I'll say, you know, I, I think you're so bright and you're so with it. Five to 10 years from now, you may hire them or you may go into partnership with them. Now that may seem like the farthest thing from the moon right now, but that's a reality. You may decide to start a business and you may say to them, you know, would you like to join me? This is what I'm doing. This is what I've done. And if you've stayed in touch with them over those five to 15 years. I'm sure if we put out a survey monkey to Wesley and we'd, we'd find that there were some people like that that ended up in business together for that reason. I know there, I know there have been some friendships and things formed, you know, through my work at Hackley that are like that. And one kind of, as we're winding things up here, we're hitting the hour mark, which this has gone fast, but a cautionary tale, I, I would tell folks, student athletes who are probably recent graduates, you know, the first three to five years, especially if you go into law or finance or professional services, financial services where you're working a lot, that it takes even more discipline and intentionality to keep up your networking because you're working hard. And you have to remember your employer, it's, you know, they don't always want you to have a great network. That's, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that is something valuable that you take with you. And your employer, maybe if it's one of these, you know, firms would prefer you just to keep working and, and have you beholden there. But I can tell you from experience in 2008, when somebody comes in your office and says, put all this into a cardboard box, your network will show and you will sit down and you will call a hundred people and you realize, gosh, I haven't talked to this person in three or four years. Um, this is going to be a little bit awkward, but I'm going to give it a go it's worth keeping it up. It's worth putting the time in because when you need it the most, that's when the network shows through for you. And that's where the relationships show through for you. No question. One other thing I would add would be, you know, be fearless. Everyone needs to know that you're looking because if they don't know, they can't help you. And I'll, I'll, I'll go a little overboard here, but, you know, the mailman should know, your aunts and uncles should know, your neighbors should know, the person you meet on the plane. You know, when I was in informational interview mode, like I was either your best friend or your worst nightmare on a flight. 
you either put your headphones on, <laughs> I can't get away from this guy fast enough. Otherwise, you know, I would talk, we'd, I bring the conversation around to, you know, so what, what, where do you work? What do you do? What do you like about it? I, I was practicing my informational interview skills, you know, um, you'd be surprised at the conversations you can have and where they might lead. I mean, I think if you were to survey however many alumni there are in the Wesleyan body, you would have a pretty high percentage of people who were doing work or ended up moving from one position to another because of sort of a fortuitous event. You know, they didn't plan it, but they put themselves in the right place at the right time. And for some of them, that's resulted in them putting their names on buildings at Wesleyan. <laughs> so, you know, um, but, you know, it's like the lotto in New York. You got to be in it to win it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great way to wind things up here. And, and I would also add to that, you know, thank you so much for giving your time and expertise. And this has been tremendous. Um, if you're open to it, is there, or can folks kind of reach out to the school to get in touch with you if, if they want to talk a little bit more, if they had a crew affiliation or hockey affiliation, or just want to hear more about your experience and stories, would they be able to reach out if that's okay? Sure. I, I'd be happy to hear from anyone of any sport uh, on the men's or women's side. Um, I think the best way is probably email, the initial J, Gannon. G-A-N-N-O-N at Hackley School, H-A-C-K-L-E-Y School, all one word, dot org. And I'd be happy to, uh, you know, receive an email from anyone and have a conversation a little bit like this or shoot them the articles. I don't know if we're going to post those, um, but I'd be happy to, you know, I've got them in a, in a Word document or a PDF and um, be happy to share those with anyone. Yeah, terrific. We will make those documents available somehow or other. I talked to Karen about that a little bit. And um, likewise, if, if you're listening to this and you know somebody that was helpful to you who is a student athlete um, alum at Wesleyan, you think they'd be a good fit for the show, have them reach out to me. Um, we're just getting this started, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully we can help a lot of people. So I think final question for you, John, do you know where the Douglas Cannon is right now? <laughs> if only I did. And if I did, I might not say. <laughs> so. John, this has been terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, Brian. Okay, bye.